Where do behaviors of self-sacrifice and boundary betrayal come from? As introduced in our first chapter, these behaviors are often going to be adapted from our lived experiences. If you skipped forward, I'd encourage you to hop back to that first chapter to really understand the psychology of why and how we can adapt such behaviors before moving forward. If you already got that baseline understanding, let's move forward to highlight case examples of how we can adapt self-sacrifice and boundary betrayal. Let's start with self-sacrifice. Where in our lives might we adapt self-sacrifice as a habit? Where do we learn that sacrificing our needs over others is something that's beneficial to us? One example, again, just a case example in life is maybe early on in life, your caretaker seems like they're really struggling to take care of you. Or again, there's maybe a lot of change or chaos afloat that not only does your caretaker seem to struggle with, but maybe they're even contributing to it or creating some of the chaos that's resulting. A really interesting psychological development in children that's oriented around survival is that instead of just kind of saying objectively what's true, my caretaker doesn't feel that capable, instead, we adapt in a different way. Survivalistically, as children, if our caretakers don't feel capable, that's a really scary anti-survival place to be. So instead, we almost compensate by saying, okay, it must not be my caretaker. What else is going wrong here? It, it's probably me, right? I need to be the person who's stepping up here and making sure that we're preventing any other chaos to happen. And if it happens, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for that. I'm going to apologize for it. I'm going to blame myself. And maybe even sometimes in these situations, our caretakers start to get comfortable with that too, or are blaming us even in certain situations. And so then we form this cognitive schema that when it comes to tough times or when things go wrong, that it is our fault and we need to be taking the blame for that. This, again, can be a really helpful adaptation for when we adapt and learn it, but when put on autopilot later on, maybe we are taking way too much blame for when things go wrong or anticipating that something's going to be our fault when it hasn't even happened yet. How about boundary betrayal? Where do we develop boundary betrayal as a habit? Where do we learn that we can't set boundaries and that we, again, need to sacrifice our needs for someone else's? So this is actually something that is pretty common because a lot of our family structures growing up didn't give us the education, tools, or modeling that we needed in order to learn how to set healthy boundaries. Instead, a lot of times our family structures can model the opposite of setting boundaries, enmeshment and really being codependent. To a certain extent, we're all codependent. I feel like that's become a little bit of a trend word. We all, to a certain extent, are dependent on each other. But when that becomes problematic is when we are so codependent that no one can have their own space or their ability to have their own emotions or set boundaries. For example, if in a family structure, one person, let's say the dad, when the dad gets upset, everyone has to be upset. Otherwise, if someone says, I don't really want to be in this space while you're getting upset, the dad freaks out even more. And really, anytime the dad has a big emotion, everyone has to orient around that emotion. Everyone has to stop what they're doing and either validate the dad's emotion or join him in it. Otherwise, again, he freaks out. 
That means that maybe if I'm a child in this family, I will compensate and adapt by learning that I'm not allowed to have really any boundaries or needs of my own if dad is freaking out. And this will mean that this can automate and follow me in life, where if I am in a relationship where someone gets upset a lot, I feel like I can never really set a boundary to say, okay, no, you can't freak out at me like that. Or no, I don't want to listen to you talk to me like this. And this perpetuates not only in personal life, but absolutely in work life too, where we not only have trouble setting and delineating boundaries, but we almost find ourselves needing to, again, show that problematic codependency to say, okay, I'm just going to orient my needs towards this person needs. I'm going to do everything that my boss needs. I'm never going to tune into what I need. I'm going to orient everything that I do around XYZ person that is not me. Again, these can be really critical adaptations to help us navigate and survive the situations where we adapt them. But again, when run on autopilot from there, sometimes they keep us stuck or cause issues later in life. For example, at work, if I really struggle to set boundaries, um, if I can't say no when I really need to say no, that's going to cause some difficulty in scoping, in deliverables, in timelines, in teamwork. For example, if one of my leaders comes to me and says, hey, your project team is doing so great. Can you guys take on this extra piece of scope? And deep down, I know immediately that we can't do that, but I'm so used to being, again, kind of people-pleasing, not able to say no, really thinking that I need to orient around making this leader happy or everything's going to fall apart, then I'm immediately just going to say, yeah, we can do that. We'll figure it out. And if on top of that, our team really isn't able to do that. Our team has already been burning the midnight oil. Everything's already been overscoped, and I've already been sugarcoating the truth to where our team's really struggling. If we take on this extra piece of scope, not only is the deliverable really going to suffer, my team's going to suffer. We're probably going to lose people because, as I like to say, a lot of times people don't quit their jobs. People quit bad leaders. An example in personal life that can really impact us when boundary betrayal and self-sacrifice becomes autopilot is when we face that enmeshment and codependency in a relationship, whether it is a friendship, a partnered relationship, or any other type of relationship that we have, where we're not able to do the things that we want individually. We're not able to have our own space. Everything is kind of this very delicate, fragile seesaw effect of if this person needs to do this, then we all have to do this. If this person's upset, we all have to be upset. Our nervous system will eventually recognize that our needs are not being met. We'll snap right into fight or flight mode. But if we don't have the ability to ever speak up for our needs or to do anything about them, we're really going to suffer mentally and physically. A great everyday example of this is maybe if a introvert and extrovert are in a romantic relationship. And sometimes... Both parties want to go out and be social, but then other times the introvert is going to hit a wall sooner than the extrovert, and the introvert maybe needs time to recharge. But if that person isn't able to say, 
hey, I really feel like it'd be nourishing for me to spend a night at home and keeps pushing themselves to go out. They're going to start building resentment and bottle up all of this emotion around not wanting to go out, but they've never even spoken up to their partner and they just explode at their partner with all this months long of bottle up. That's going to cause conflict that didn't need to be that intense when in the first place we could have just said, I really need some internal individual time to recharge. That's an example of where healthier boundaries can really help us, not only with our everyday mental health, but make sure that we're not triggering into these fight or flight responses when we can't speak up for our needs that perpetuate long-term, not only into bottled up explosions of emotion, but also burnout. How does all of this relate to burnout? When we are the self-sacrificers and the boundary betrayers, we can get rewarded for being that selfless person, being giving, being humble. And sometimes we even start to build our own identity and worth off that external validation of others in this way. In and of itself, it isn't a problem. But again, it's when these behaviors go past a point of diminishing returns that they can really breed burnout in the long term. We become so unable, ill-equipped, even scared to set a boundary that we ignore and sacrifice our needs for the needs of others. It's an extremely unsustainable road for our mental and our physical health. At the end of the day, we are humans wired to prioritize survival first and foremost. And if we're not meeting our own needs, we snap right into that fight or flight that when prolonged swings into burnout. So why is this conversation important? As we mentioned in our first chapter, it's really important to understand the roots of our reactions as a first step to change. It's one thing to know we have a behavior that isn't working optimally, but it's another to know the specific root so we can actually address and change it. Also, it's important for us to invest time in doing this reflective work on our reactions outside of a window when we're triggered, when that reaction is popping up. So our brains are in that more regulated and conscious state where mental change can actually happen.